This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It is always great to be talking about saving money on your power bill, using technology, and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles, the host of Energy Matters. I'm a commissioner here in Georgia. I regulate energy along with my colleagues at the Georgia Public Service Commission. Today, we've got a fantastic episode with Gil Gradinsky. He's uh, the subject matter expert from the Georgia EPD, which stands for the Environmental Protection Division. It's an agency that's housed inside the Department of Natural Resources. Welcome to the show, Gil. Thank you, Tim. Well, look, uh, I know that... uh, there's a lot going on down here. Let's start with what the EPD does. Folks may have heard of the EPA. How is the EPD different than the EPA? Well, the EPD represents the state of Georgia, and so we address the issues that affect the health uh, of uh, our Georgian, Georgia citizens. And so we kind of do a lot of the stuff that the EPA does. We look at land and water and, and air my focus is, in, is on air and specifically transportation related to emissions from vehicles and how to get us um, to achieve all the standards and requirements um, of that. We talk a lot on Energy Matters about electric vehicles, about natural gas vehicles, honestly. And today we want to break down not only the vehicles themselves, but there's other ways of looking at this, like getting people off the road. And the EPD has been involved with that. But first, I want to kick off the show just talking about some of the challenges that the Georgia EPD is facing with regards to air quality goals for the Atlanta region. And I know our, our show is in Athens. It's outside of that uh, EPA attainment area. Um, but uh, obviously, the wind blows and we're all concerned about air quality. So, as you think about the challenges that you all face, uh, what, how would you describe those? Well, um, the good news is that um, we have measurements in the Athens area, and uh, if there was any impact from Atlanta or from local emissions, we would see exceedances. What that means is going above the what we consider to be health healthy um, levels of pollutant. So you're having pollutants that are below that level in Athens, so you're in attainment for all the standards. Even when the wind, which often blows from the west, comes there, it's fine. Um, in terms of our challenges, we've had, I'm going to start on the positive side, and that is that we've um, achieved attainment for the particulate matter standards, and we've attained past ozone standards, but our challenge right now is the 70 part per billion standard, the newest standard, they call it the 2015 um, standard for ozone. Ozone, is a, for those who are not familiar, is a photochemical pollutant result of other pollutants um, interacting with sunlight, and it's a summer issue here in Atlanta. As you think about a, a summer versus winter issue, I know at the PSC we're we think about a summer peak versus a winter peak. So we're, you know, we're very tuned into the seasonal uh, demand that power brings. Obviously, a lot of air conditioned load in the summer, and and uh, there's just more electricity. That's used particularly on afternoons, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the afternoon. As you think about uh, air quality here in Atlanta, why, why is the summer particularly bad? Well, um, the summer, we're getting better with the summer. I want to uh, start out with that. Things are improving. We're just trying to get just below that 70 limit, and so we're just above that right now. Um, but the summer is an issue because you got um, what we call this, we have a lot more sunlight. And also we have the trees with the leaves out. They provide um, one of the pollutants we call volatile organic compounds and flood the region with that. And then we have our pollutants, what we call nitrogen oxides, that are mainly man-made, and they come in, they react with the sunlight. And so we have a lot more sunlight and longer days in the summer. And so we have that coming into play. And then we also have the the infusion of volatile organic compound, natural compounds, in addition to man-man compounds that are are, uh, stronger during during the summer when you have the leaves out, when you have the trees with the leaves. So that makes the summer the challenge uh, for us because of that. Did did, Did I hear you say that trees actually contribute 
two pollution? Is that what is that what you said? No, I, well, it's more complicated than that. Um, actually, it's not really the case for Atlanta because um, we're very sensitive to what is known as nitrogen oxides. So our ozone goes up and down based on the level of nitrogen oxides. It's just that we have the availability with the sunlight and we have the, the leaves to provide the necessary ingredients for ozone pollution. But what really is affecting our levels is the man-made nitrogen oxides. But it's part of the mix. They do provide part of the mix, but our ability to control the ozone is based on, on uh, what we call anthropogenic man-made emissions from uh, uh, and a lot of that's from transportation, which is what I focus on. But that's a very good question. When you think about Plant McDonough, that was formerly a coal plant uh, up off the Chattahoochee, and we converted it to a natural gas plant. When you close a large coal plant like that in a metro area, did you did you see uh, did you see some reductions? Does it have an impact when you close a major? coal plant i mean i don't think natural gas is uh is, is producing nitrogen oxide but coal plant certainly did um well what we what i can tell you from my experience because my focus is on transportation is that when we have a closure of a coal-fired power plant is that when we do in order to because i do a lot of modeling um is that we see a lower amount of emissions of things like nitrogen oxides in our inventory. And so what we do is we take an inventory. And then before we can go and tell people whether we, you know, strategies for how to reduce our ozone and get us to have a healthier air for Georgians, is that we have to have actually inventory first of what's out there in the first place. You know what I mean? And so um, when we do that, when we close those fire, coal-fired power plants, we see lower emissions of, of those precursors to ozone so certainly we would think that i'll have an improvement certainly when we have the closure of coal-fired power plants we saw reductions and also when we put in when they put in all the controls in the power plants we saw a great reduction for our particulate matter pollution i often tell my green friends that not all coal plants are equal that when you go to a china or an india and you see a lot of particulate matter in the air and you've got unscrubbed coal plants that's very different than the billions of dollars that we have spent in georgia making sure that we've got scrubbers on all of our plants and so you're you're actually able to see a difference in particulate matter when uh when when that investment is made yes i mean again um, we don't go and, and actually follow it along. We, what we do is we look at patterns and do analyses, and it's shown that when we've employed our multi-pollutant rule and other rules like that where we've had included scrubbers for those, you know, for SO2, particularly in the case of particulate matter, and for, for nitrogen oxide and O2 and things like that, it helps with the ozone. But with the case of particulate matter, um, we see that clearly the patterns, we see the sulfur dioxide go way down in the air. We see at the same time that the particulate matter is going down, so we can make a fairly high confidence assumption that the closures or the, the scrubbers are doing a, a, a great job. And actually, it's become kind of like the poster child. Even the, the current administration that we have talks about the uh, story seldom told. They like to have that showing the graph of, of more energy use but then the pollute the pollutants are going down and things like that and the scrubbers allow for that to happen they've been very effective in helping he's gill he's with the epd here in georgia i'm tim uh i'm your host of energy matters and we're talking air pollution uh and hopefully the lack of it as we move forward gill let me ask you about these marta buses i know we've got a tremendous amount of natural gas buses and i have to think that if we didn't if these buses were all running on diesel, uh, as much as they're running hour upon hour upon hour every day, that it would really have a negative impact. Uh, have you guys been able to measure or talk about the impact that having natural gas buses has had on air quality in the Atlanta area? That's an interesting question. Um, we have the EPA's model, Motor Vehicle Emission Simulator model, that has estimates for transit buses when you switch from um, diesel to natural gas. But the challenges there is, though, is that we have continual improvement in technology in both the case of natural gas and in 
in diesel. They have a thing called clean diesel. But then, you know, there's a lots of parts, so we don't know how everything works. And the same thing with natural gas. So all we can do is model that. And what we see is that we do see some improvements. But what I do note is that um, things that people don't really think about and things that we are looking at is also cost of maintenance. And so some of the, so I think, you, know, you could argue that natural gas vehicles, in the case of the MARTA buses, might have less maintenance costs, things like that. But that's something I can't confirm. That's not my area of expertise. But the, yeah, you, you take into account not only the, um, the side of it's improving air quality, but looking at, as a, as a person who operates these vehicles, is are they actually easier to maintain? Because if it's cheaper to maintain and you get a return on your investment, you're not only saving the environment, you're saving money, which is what you're talking about on your show about saving money. Not only individuals, but fleets. And so um, that's something we look at too. So the models show generally an improvement and air uh, in reduction in some pollutants when you go to natural gas. Um, uh, but it's still something where it's a little tricky between the different fuels because, again, they're new technologies. They they find ways to make it so natural gas reduces NOx by 98%, and then they clean. Diesel people say, we've added this new new thing. We've added this uh, reducing agent and so it depends. Well, I want to keep the conversation going. We, we've just really begun to scratch the surface. I want to talk uh, in our next segment about emission reduction ideas. I want to talk about this uh, demand reduction. Maybe we can get into a little bit about, about fleets. Uh, we talked about the buses, but let's maybe go into UPS and some other things. Stick around. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm talking to Gil from the EPD. We'll be right back with more conversation about air pollution. Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. BMVW is the place in Metro Atlanta to get your used hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or fully electric car. They're located on the south side near the airport, but it is well worth the drive. Go online to look at their inventory at ev-hybrid.com and set up a time to see the vehicle or even drive it for up to three days. I don't know of anywhere else in Metro Atlanta that you can do that. That's ev-hybrid.com, the best deal in town. ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, we're back. I'm Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters. We're talking air pollution today. Uh, and certainly as we as we move forward in Georgia, we want to continue to have cleaner air, cleaner water. Who doesn't care about that? I'm a I'm an Atlanta native. I grew up in Clayton County, went to the University of Georgia. Uh, I'm actually at the EPD headquarters down near the airport. I'm talking with Gil. He's a subject matter expert, and we're talking air pollution. And Gil, let's jump back into it because there are numbers of ways to reduce emissions. And uh, probably guys like me and others on, on our show, maybe we haven't, we haven't thought that much about it, right? Maybe we're limited in what we've been thinking about. How would you describe different ways to reduce emissions? We're going to talk about what we've done in the past. For instance, there's a lot of federal regulations that have emission control requirements. We call them for like, like duty vehicles and all that. We have called tiers. We have some pretty uh, effective, I think, regulations that have come in where 
when new vehicles based on the model year come in uh, that they have lower emission requirements. They have to be tested before they go out and they have to be certified. And so that in itself has also reduced the emissions. And we found that that's helped us a lot along with, you know, things like multiple pollutant rules that we've done here at the state to reduce emissions because we're measuring them at the tailpipe. We're also looking at evaporative emissions, so they're actually measuring it from the vehicle when they come out to sell. And then we also have an inspection maintenance program in the Atlanta area to try to keep that going. That's one aspect, what we call the regulatory efforts. But then we've found that we're trying to get down to the below 70, that we are trying to find other ways to get further down that to exploit those regulations that are in place better, take advantage of them, or other creative ways to get it down. And one way to do that is to attack it on the demand side, get people to carpool and do things, get the demand down, which means getting fewer vehicles on the road. If you have fewer vehicles, you can have less emissions. Also, if you have fewer vehicles on the road driving less distance, then that would help. Also, even timing. If you have it at different times so you don't have congestion on the interstates, for instance, or on the road, if everyone's driving smoothly, ideally, they're not putting a lot of demand on your vehicle's engine, that you're letting it do what it's supposed to do, that you reduce emissions that way. That's one way, and we call it kind of the demand side travel. And then the other side, you're just looking at the actual vehicles themselves and how they emit. And I said, again, you have those regulations where you reduce emissions from those vehicles. And then you have ways like alternative fuels. You can look at replacing old vehicles with new vehicles because, again, that's exploiting the regulations. Because the newer the vehicle, you have the stricter the emissions requirements are. So if you take, say, an old 57 Chevrolet, like my dad had, didn't have a catalytic converter, didn't have anything on it other than a muffler, those old vehicles emit far more pollution than, say, a new Ford Focus, right? Correct, yeah. Using a vehicle that has better pollution controls uh, makes a lot of sense and helps our emissions. I was in Paris for the World Nuclear Exhibition. They happened to be having the Paris Auto Show there, and I went over and actually drove a Kia Soul there came back to the U.S. and bought the Kia Soul EV that they let me test on the streets of Paris. But one of the things I noticed about the way the French sold cars is they would either have a red light, meaning that this car emits a lot of pollution. It's an SUV. It's a uh, it's a guzzler, and it emits pollution, and you would pay a penalty when you bought that. Or a yellow was neutral, and you didn't pay anything. Maybe it was a, you know, a Toyota Corolla, something smaller. And then cars that were extremely efficient got a green light, and you actually got a rebate when you purchased it. And I know that we haven't really gone to anything like that. We put the fuel economy on on the sticker and let people know what the fuel economy is, but we really haven't helped our buying public public tie into anything in emissions. Do you ever see that happening in the U.S.? I think there's efforts in California and other places uh, that I've seen where they're trying to achieve for instance, they want it to be carbon neutral and all that in other regions. And so to reach requirements, they have to demonstrate that through modeling and all that, they can reach it. And so they do have um, certain requirements. They have like you might have, um, for instance, vehicle miles travel restrictions or certain neighborhoods. If you drive your vehicle, you might have to pay uh, per mile and things like that. And so there's initiatives like that. Um, but in terms of the Atlanta area, um, at this point, I mean, I know there's stuff going on in Buckhead. I'm not that familiar with the details of that, but um, a lot of the stuff we're trying to do is we're just trying to inform the public. And actually, uh, to be anecdotal, um, we were looking for a vehicle ourselves, and a Toyota, and uh, we were interested in the hybrid um, versus the regular. Both of them have good gas mileage, but, um, but we were looking at that. And we asked about the prices, and they told us that the hybrid, they couldn't give us much lower price because the demand was so high. They were selling them like hotcakes. And so if that is an, it's an anecdote, that's telling me that the public here, I think a lot of people are aware more than I, – I, I'm giving my, the audience here a lot of credit. I believe people are aware of the, of the benefits or the aware of the of – the, the, because I see the, these vehicles selling out. It's hard to get a Prius. And so I know that uh, I think a lot of people are aware of it. It's just a matter of in terms of whether we want to take voluntary measures and have people voluntarily through programs choose to the less emitting vehicle or whether we want to go with more of a the government, uh, you know, trying to incentivize through things like vehicle miles, travel controls and all that. And so. We often uh, chide California on our program for numbers of different things, but Frankly, the Californians have done some things right. That vapor capture that they do at gas pumps where they're 
they've got the larger rubber gasket that kind of goes down over the uh, over the uh, I guess nozzle on your car, capturing all the vapors through a separate hose and putting it back in. Do gas vapors impact air quality as it as as we fuel our cars, particularly in the summertime? I mean, is that something that could make a difference? Are the Californians are the Californians doing something that maybe we should copy there? Oh, okay. You're talking about the vapor recovery system. Actually, um, the EPA ahead of time, and um, um, they they developed a requirement where vehicles have to have their own vapor recovery system in the vehicle itself. And so um, we actually had until recently a vapor recovery system here. Um, And then um, now for the purpose of ozone, uh, volatile organic compounds like that really don't have much impact on our ozone uh, development. It's more than nitrogen oxides. Not to say it's not at all, but uh, we were able to demonstrate that the impact was minimal. But also, we did have that already, but we removed it because we there is a, a control that's already in the vehicle that deals with the vapor. And having two systems, they were not compatible. Now, what I believe, though, what California has is that we had a pump-based vapor recovery system, and they have a, probably a pressure balance and what that means is that what I was talking about, if you have two things fighting each other, I mean, it's almost like having your alarm and your, and your cell phone might not react. You, know, you have two different things. They might not always have a positive benefit. And so that was happening with us is that we, would, we, would, we had this vapor recovery system that was um, uh, pump-based. And it would pump the, you know, at the same time the car was trying to do it too. In the end, we actually would end up having more emissions because what would happen is that the pressure would build up in the tank in the underground storage tank and it would release vapor that way. And so whatever benefit we're getting from the fuel pump was being negated by that. But the way to deal with that is you can do a pressure pressure thing like they do in California. However, see in California, their ozone does have sensitivity to volatile organic compounds. So something like that is very important for them. For Georgia, it's, it's been shown that it's not worth the effort. There are other things we can pursue that work. Is there a correlation between good gas mileage on a car, like, say, a Prius that gets 44, 45, 46 miles to the gallon, and better air quality? Uh, is, is, there, is there any correlation there or, or not really? Oh, that's something I haven't had a chance to really model with. Um, I, I think the idea is, though, is that the gas mileage and is related to the greenhouse gases and then the nitrogen oxides and all those emission controls that we have in the vehicle are for those and they kind of are parallel and so the idea is that if you have better efficiency in your vehicle a better running vehicle theoretically you would have a reduced emissions but actually all i can answer to that is that the regulations and requirements were designed as so that you would have companion systems you would have your gas mileage go up so that you'd be using less fuel and therefore less carbon dioxide on one end. On the other hand, you would be installing these what we call Tier 3 now, emission controls on light-duty vehicles that attack the, the ozone and particulate matter-related pollutants. In our final minute here, I want to ask you about trains. Uh, you mentioned getting people off the road. And as I travel to conferences and go around the world, cities like Shanghai, uh, these European cities, they have these unbelievable subway systems that are running on electricity, uh, packed, getting people off the road. Even in Washington, D.C., how important is transit or how important can it be? It's obviously not that important to us here in Georgia because we, we don't have a world quality transit system in Atlanta. But if we did, would it make a difference? I would think um, if you had, I mean, right now, okay, right now there's been a lot of uh, movement um, in the Atlanta area to fund transit projects throughout the region. And I think one of the first things we need to do is make sure if you want to have a system system is that we are all coordinated together, working together, talking to each other so that you have various different transit systems and then they don't talk with each other in terms of would it help i think uh, in uh in many ways yeah the reason why we do that is because the idea is that we get people off the road which that would be very helpful and also um i think uh it's a for some people it'd be a less stressful thing to have to i, I would enjoy being able to go on the on the uh the train and, and and read and relax and not have to worry about traffic and so in that regard yeah it can have some benefit with quality of life I'm getting maybe some people off the road, but in terms of specific numbers, we I don't have any offhand. 
Well, it's been great having you on Energy Matters. Thanks for all your expertise down here. Let's keep working to make Atlanta a cleaner place. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Well, thank you for having me, Tim. This was a pleasure. I hope we can talk again soon. Stick around. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. We'll be right back. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. They're dedicated to energy solutions for both your home and business. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure their clients receive the highest quality of solar energy systems in the industry. Contact CSUSA today at 770-485-7438 or go to creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Better Tomorrow Solar. Imagine a world powered by sunlight. Imagine your home powered by sunlight. Better Tomorrow Solar has a passion for helping you see this for yourself. They've worked hard to overcome the chief obstacle to solar adoption, its initial cost. In some cases, they can install your solar panels at no cost, then charge a predetermined, stable rate for the energy used. In other cases, Better Tomorrow Solar has creative ways to finance the installation so the monthly payments are lower than the energy savings. Find out more at BetterTomorrowSolar.com. That's BetterTomorrowSolar.com and see how you make your world better. Hey, this is Commissioner Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters, and we're on the road down in Brunswick, Georgia, with my friend Clayton Porter. You hear his ads every week on Energy Matters, the Polaris Gem Car. So it's great to have you on the show, Clayton. Tim, thank you for having me here today. I really appreciate it. Look forward to this getting out to your listeners and uh, learning more about the Gem product. Well, the Gem cars are cool. We're seeing them all over Atlanta. We've got the Atlanta Cruisers there at Emory. Georgia Tech has them. And folks, you may recognize these Polaris Gem cars. They're electric. They're made by Polaris uh, in Anaheim, California. And uh, Clayton has the dealership down here, and we're excited. And Clayton, you and I were visiting the other day, and you were telling me about when you started this business. You started this Red Bug Rental Service. Folks have been to Jekyll. Tell me about when you first got into marketing, renting these uh, these electric vehicles. Well, I, had, I had a partner on Jekyll Island that was interested in getting into this, and we had a an airport, a small airport on Jekyll that was vacant, and pilots. Um, coming to Jekyll. They needed transportation. They can't carry a bike with them, so there was no way for them to get around. So it it, it originated with a, um, a small rental operation that, that grew over time over on Jekyll Island. And uh, as well as that, we helped several other businesses along the uh, East Coast set up rental operations. And uh, this dealership grew from four to five cars a year to universities, commercial buyers, and uh, that we're fortunate to have all throughout the southeast. And uh, as it goes with any any um, any sales business, you need a service side. So our service side is the premier of the, the, the gym along the southeastern U.S. out into Texas. You know, as I travel to beaches or whatever on vacation, uh, folks, our listeners, do the same you're seeing more and more golf carts, which uh, I think are technically illegal driving on a, a, a state highway. And, of course, the gym car, which is, which is legal. Tell us the difference between just a regular golf cart that somebody might pull out there on the highway that doesn't have the safety, fa- safety features and, and the Polaris gym car. Uh, many of the golf carts now are are required to have safety equipment, flashing beacons, seat belts, uh, safety restraints, etc. And many of them now are required to go 25 miles per hour, which is the same as what a gym does. So 
I'm really an advocate for any type of electric and alternate fueled vehicles, including golf carts, although we compete against the golf cart manufacturers. If you think about the state of Georgia in Augusta, you got Easy Go, you got Club Car. You're selling these Polaris gym cars, and we know that Dan Panis is going to be selling some low-speed electric vehicles up towards Brazelton. I mean, if you counted all of those things, Georgia really is a player in the electric vehicle market when you consider low-speed. That is correct, Tim, and uh, the gyms are, speaking as a dealer, I'll have to say that the gyms are the premier in the LSV world, not to take anything away from Easy Go and Club Car and Dance Product, which is just coming into the market. And I'm wishing him success with that because, again, I'm a very strong advocate for um, any type of electric-powered vehicles, especially on the islands where we have some remaining wildlife and nature that we want to preserve that atmosphere. And uh, getting rid of fossil fuel vehicles when you have the opportunity, I think is a great idea. But you also have a wrap business here, and you've taken my little Panis car, and Cox Enterprises has one of Dan's cars. They call it Lightning at their pivot operation. But you've taken this little car, and you've turned it into the Sea Turtle car. Folks will be seeing this all over Georgia. Tell me about the evolution of your wrap business and how it came about. Well, we have a, a large commercial customer that wanted to have their vehicles wrapped, and we were getting those done at various places. So it was it was beneficial to both the customer and for us to to have an in-house wrap shop. So we made a significant investment in uh, state-of-the-art equipment. We can wrap any vehicle, but primarily we do the gym product line uh, and our any you know smaller vehicles that uh that our customers may want to bring to our shop and uh but we could do a a school bus we could do a a large panel truck we can do anything but right now we're currently concentrating on on our buyers and uh, satisfying their needs when you look at your showroom here and folks that come to brunswick this is uh, you get off at uh i guess us 25 and it's just just not too far from flexi the you know the training operation here and the and the brunswick mall uh, with all the new theaters there embassy suite so it's very close but you've got in your showroom some cool things you've got the You've got the traditional gym that you might see on the streets of Atlanta, but then you got one with a solar panel on it that charges. I get this just kind of charging those batteries as it as it sits and as it drives, right? That's correct. It it, it charges all the time, even even under the fluorescent lighting. It is getting getting a trickle charge into the battery pack, and out in the open sunlight, it's even even greater. So it's significant in respect that uh, you don't you don't have to plug in throughout the day as often as you would normally if you're um, if you're a commercial user and you're running the vehicle. Um, and I, I'm a little excited that uh, Google Earth was in this past week, and um, they are going to um, uh, rather than just showing storefronts as they traditionally have. They actually have a drone that they will fly into our showroom and show our product and then back out the front door. And um, so that'll be where anyone could go on and um, and, and view that, giving us, uh, you know, greater exposure as we need because we're not in a metro market. We don't have a lot of walk-in business. We have to kind of go out and, and look for it. You know, you've got other things over there, too. You've got the... The three three rows of seats, so a six six passenger with doors. Uh, folks can put their wrap on there. You've got there's just so many different combinations. When you think about what your best seller is uh, on the gym car, what how would you describe that? Well, the, the we sell more of the four passengers for personal use, uh, and that's you know primarily along the coastline where people have second homes. They're in gated communities and uh, smaller towns where they can drive uh, th- these street-legal vehicles out onto the road, go shopping, uh, go visiting, go to the golf course, etc. Um, so those are um, th- that's, that's our primary vehicle. However, the six-passenger with uh, upcoming shuttle operations opening up in the metro areas around the United States – uh, we sell quite a few six passengers and usually in greater numbers when we do make that sale and then we can wrap it um, the advertising aspect of uh, 
of the six passenger there's a lot of real estate to show off advertising and often is not um, through the course of the year the advertising dollars themselves will pay for the vehicle um, we're uh, just maybe three minutes left. I want to go ahead and give folks the phone number that they can call down here if they are interested in getting their own gym car or maybe for their institution. So let's go ahead and give that out. That, that number is 855-375-4367. We're open from 9 to 4, five days a week. And uh, the uh, the number is always there, twenty four seven. Just leave a message if you're you're interested in having someone contact you. And our email address for the um, the sales and service operation is info at gemnev dot com. That's g e m n e v dot com. So. Get you a gym car. You can actually get these things tagged in Georgia, and I'm in the process of getting a low-speed vehicle tagged right now. So you need an amber light, which is just a flashing yellow light. So you have to have that. You have to get a permit. It only costs $2 from Georgia uh, Department of Public Safety. You get that. Then you take your title into your tag office, and they're going to look, you know, Polaris, Jim. They're going to pull it up. All of it's right there. They're going to value that car based on the year model, and then they're going to title that car in your name because it has a 19-digit serial number, just like a regular vehicle. And they're then they're going to um, they're, they're going to get you a tag. It's a special uh, low-speed vehicle tag that has a little triangle on it. They're going to send it back, and with that, Clayton, and this is incredible, you can take that vehicle out. You can ride around all of Jekyll Island anywhere it's 35 miles an hour below virtually all of, uh, of the main part of St. Simons. You can't go out towards Frederica, technically, I guess. You could ride on the sidewalk, probably. Uh, I doubt you're going to get pulled over uh, way up there uh, on the north end of the island. And, of course, in downtown areas like downtown Atlanta, we see these things all the time. So how cool is that, Clayton, being able to take these things out and use them on the highway? Well, you can park it in your garage at home. You can charge it at your garage and home. It plugs into a standard 110 volt outlet, uh, just just like your, your your you know any other electrical appliance would. And you charge it up. Uh, if you drove it 30 miles a day, it costs you about 40 cents uh, at the current electrical rates. And uh, you can't buy fuel for that for sure. There's no maintenance on the vehicle. Uh, just keep the tire pressure up like you would on any other any other vehicle. Well, we want to thank you for being a sponsor on Energy Matters. Because of you, our show continues to grow. And just wish you Godspeed in your health and your business and all the great things you're doing down here. Thank you so much, Clayton. Thank you, Tim. And I appreciate you making this show possible. And, and I appreciate all your listening audience out there. I hope this reaches a lot of people that are interested in any LSV in particular our product, the Gym Car. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Stick around. We'll be right back. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over Georgia. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. The folks there understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll unpack it all. They've been in business for over 25 years. To find out more, go to SolarSunWorld.com. That's SolarSunWorld.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles on Energy Matters. We're normally talking about energy, how to save money on your power bill, technology, living a more sustainable life. But we've detoured a little bit uh, to put some emphasis on human trafficking and human trafficking awareness. With me today, Lindsay with the GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, how are you? 
I'm doing great. And we're down here in Fitzgerald, Georgia, and we're doing an on-the-road segment now because we're doing one of my unholy tour stops here in Ben Hill County. Um, let me just begin and ask you, is human trafficking only a problem in metro areas like Atlanta, L.A., New York, or does it spill over into rural areas? No, it definitely spills over into rural areas. It's not just a big city issue or problem. Is it true that wherever expressways are uh, or uh, wherever large groups of men gather, I mean, is there, is there some characterization of where you might find more trafficking of, of young people than other places? Well, I think you're going to see it in more highly populated areas like Atlanta. It's just it's a more target-rich environment, but it does occur throughout the state. As we think about things that you would tell parents as you speak to uh, parents and, and civic groups and others about inoculating your children against this or being able to tell maybe if your children are being uh, lured into this, what are some of the things that you would, that you would tell parents, our listeners? Well, I would encourage parents, you know, to monitor their children's social media um, very closely, you know, know who they're talking to, know what applications are on their devices and what those applications are used for. Is it an application that encourages them to communicate with strangers. I think it's important that parents um, discuss with their children that you don't become friends with anybody on social media that you don't know in person and that the parents just closely monitor who the children's friends are and, you know, note any changes in a child's behavior. You know, back when we had Backpage, uh, before Backpage, I guess, went out of business, it was a place that young people were people were sold. And I understand now that traffickers are moving to more traditional media. I mean, obviously, they're on the dark web, which most of us can't access or don't know how to access. But even things like Instagram, right, can be used by a trafficker. That's correct. You know, we're seeing it on applications like uh, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok. Um, So no application is 100% safe. Uh, people are even utilizing Facebook to friend minor children and gain their trust and then use that trust to, you know, lure a child in. So I think it's just important to remember that there's no such thing as a safe social media application. Today, we're, we'll be talking a little bit about demand and to our audience. What I mean by that is, I mean, trafficking of, of minors probably wouldn't exist if there weren't some men somewhere willing to pay for this. Clearly, there's a problem. And there, there are men willing to engage on social media and, and pay, I don't know how much money, to be able to meet up with, uh, with a young lady. Obviously, they're not checking their ID. They're not, they're not concerned necessarily about, about their age. Speak to demand a little bit. And I know you all work you know, work tirelessly to put away bad guys, and not only the, the, the ones selling, but the ones buying. And I heard Director Reynolds say twice on our show that if you're paying for sex with a minor, we're coming after you, we're going to embarrass you, people are going to know about this, and you're going to wind up in a court of law. That's pretty strong language. Well, and he's right, you know, um, our unit and the Georgia Internet Crimes Against Task Force, you know, works tirelessly to, um, to locate and arrest those that are seeking to have sexual contact with juveniles. It is a very large issue, just not just on the child sex trafficking side, but the child pornography side as well. So we will continue the, the fight to put these you know, pedophiles in jail where they belong and protect the children of the state of Georgia. Are you seeing any new trends when it comes to traffickers? I know we talk about criminal gangs and large gang activity uh, and and gangs owning uh, and branding girls. Uh, And we've got a, a nonprofit in Georgia that helps remove those tattoos or those barcodes or brands. Um, Atlanta Redemption Inc., uh, one of our nonprofits. But I also heard from some other law enforcement officials that sometimes small players will 
own three or four or five girls and then they'll trade them. They'll move to another state. And uh, and are you seeing are you seeing large groups or gangs or small groups? What 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 seems to be the trend right now? The trend is basically you'll see um, somebody who might be associated with a gang or affiliated with a gang who is uh, involved in the sex trafficking of minor children, um, not necessarily because the gang is requiring them to do so, but because that's how they're you know, paying their dues. Um, that's instead of trafficking in drugs, that's their choice is to traffic in minor children. Let's talk about small-town Georgia. Let's talk about Valdosta. Let's talk about Brunswick. Let's talk about Augusta, places where expressways go through. Uh, how, might, how might traffickers uh, utilize small towns like this? Well, they can move around really easily when the, you know, I-75 is running through the area or I-85. And basically, if the demand for, you know, the sexual contact with the child runs out in one area, they can easily hop on an expressway and relocate and then advertise the child in that area. And then when the demand dries up there, they can easily move to the next area. We're here in Ben Hill County, and I know the Sheriff's Department very interested in doing more. Uh, is the GBI working with um, in a smaller police department, sheriff's departments, doing educational efforts to help these law enforcement officers and when they make a traffic stop, when they uh, are involved with this, to be able to, to see something and know that, hey, this is a red flag. I need to isolate these people. I need to have a conversation with this possible victim. Yes. So GBI is very involved in instructing local law enforcement, Georgia State Patrol, on signs and indicators to look out for during traffic stops. And we've actually had a lot of success in that area where um, a local officer has pulled somebody over and seen those signs and indicators of trafficking and then was able to call out, you know, investigators to investigate the crime. Uh, We put on these types of human trafficking trainings throughout the state all year long um, to make sure that, you know, those that run hotels, those that work at hospitals, um, pretty much everyone in the community is aware of the signs and signals because we all have the opportunity to come in contact with these victims. We just may not realize it. So we like to make sure that everybody knows what the indicators are. And um, GBI, um, operates the Georgia Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force for the state of Georgia. And right now we have about 230 local, uh, state, and federal agencies on the task force. And we train quarterly in the areas of child pornography, um, child sexual exploitation of children, or commercial sexual exploitation of children, which is child sex trafficking, so that everybody's on the same page and up to date with the newest techniques and signs and signals of trafficking. So exploitation, can, can you define for our audience these terms, uh, commercial sexual exploitation, uh, uh, pornography, pedophile, some of these basic terms, maybe our audience is not familiar with them. So commercial sexual exploitation of children is what we refer to it as, but it's in layman's terms, the um, sex trafficking of a child. Uh, we call it the commercial sexual exploitation of children because, you know, they're making money off of it. They're profiting off of this. And uh, when I speak to, you know, pedophiles, those are somebody with a sexual interest in children. And they may be a hands-on offender or they may be involved in sex trafficking of a child or they may be somebody who views and collects images and videos of child pornography. So child exploitation can range from, you know, a hands-on offense against a child um, of a sexual nature, you know, child pornography, or the sex trafficking of a, ju- of a juvenile. Is it true that there, there might be mothers or foster mothers uh, in, in Georgia that would actually allow photographs of a child and then sell those photographs? Uh, is, is, that, is it that simple? Yes, I mean, there are parents that exploit their children that will allow others to have sex with their children in exchange for money or drugs or some kind of other monetary value. There are, you know, those that 
molest their children, sexually abuse their children, take videos of it, take photographs of it, and share it online with others, you know? Maybe not for money, but in exchange for images and videos of other children being sexually abused. Just in our last uh, minute, what did, what what advice would you have for Georgians? Maybe they work for a utility. Maybe they're, they're going into homes uh, to turn on a, a utility, a cable or a, 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 you know, a, a gas furnace. Or they, they've got a chance to go into apartments, condos. What are some things that, that uh, these type of folks need to be looking for as, as they go into homes? You know, I think the best thing to remember is if you see something, say something. If something seems off, even if it seems tiny, you know, call somebody, say something, call law enforcement, let them determine if it's something that's meaningful to them. You know, if you're seeing uh, that a child is being neglected in any way, they're dirty, they, you know, they smell bad, they look like they haven't eaten, you know, they look timid and shy, um, you know, you're seeing sexual paraphernalia in their bedrooms, things like that. Just, you know, see something, say something. Thank you so much for being on Energy Matters today and for your public service to our state, for putting your life at risk uh, to save others. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. You've heard about Jim Cars on Energy Matters. Made by Polaris in Anaheim, California. These street-legal, small electric vehicles go where golf carts are not allowed. Equipped with seatbelts, headlights, optional doors, and a tag, Jim Cars and Trucks are perfect for shuttles, corporate, or college campus use. In fact, Georgia Tech has over 100 of them. The new generation Gems have many options when selecting the battery type, onboard chargers, and enclosures to suit the climate. Go to GemCarService.com to find out more. That's G-E-M CarService.com.